Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hug your neighbor, if you would, before you take your seat. We do trust you, Lord. all of our lives but I want to, to welcome you this morning I'm asking the Lord to open our ears to hear I believe that God wants to give us a revelation today and that revelation would abound to great light in our life great understanding so we might be able to help others who don't understand it is amazing what has transpired over the just the last few weeks. I don't ever believe we've ever had a situation in history recorded that you can have a so-called impeachment process and the nation be at the highest economy ever. It's absurd. I don't remember a time when we come to the Super Bowl and which is a, a, a celebratory, a time when everybody is, pulls out the, the big chips, <laughs> pulls out the snacks, and pulls up the big long chair, and then has a party in their house, and everybody celebrates who's going to be in first place, who's going to get the award. Even all the commercials that build up to, I, one of the reasons I have to, have to admit that I, I watch the Super Bowl is to watch the commercials. Because you will never see more in crazy, incredible commercials in your life than during the Super Bowl. While there's celebration on one hand, there's weeping on the other hand. We got two seasons crossing over each other where, where um, football is coming to an end and basketball is, is in full swing. It's, it's, ama it's amazing. The changing of the seasons in the sports world is similar to the changing of what's happening in the spiritual world where God is, has said goodbye to a previous year that may have been very tough for others where the Lord has prophesied a year like you've never had in 2020 and yet the first few months of 2020 full of pain and agony. I don't want us to be confused. God will always keep his word. Let the saints say amen. amen. If, ever, if ever there was a time when we needed to gather and hear and then obey is now. I believe God wants to help us in this simple uh, change of season, even for us as a local church, that God wants us, you and I, to understand what is happening. We're to be like those who studied the scripture that they may know what to do what's going on and what do we do that you not be blind and that you not be blindsided and that you not be lost in the midst of a time when you ought to be the light 
This is that time. We are at the cusp of the opening of a season for us as a local church, as the body of Christ. In fact, I've been checking out. If you check out, um, I don't know how many of you have YouTube, or you, 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 if, you, if you just listen to what's coming forth, even podcast, it's, it's amazing the word of the Lord that's coming out of the mouth of men and women of God. At the first of the year, traditionally, even in our house, we celebrate what we call a season of first fruits. God's giving fresh definition to this word first, first, and new and meaning to the word. What it, does, it, does it mean to be first? In the word of God, he makes it really clear about his position in our lives, his status before the body of Christ. The whole world doesn't understand it, but if anyone is to understand it, the body of Christ is to understand that God is first. And what it means to honor him as first in your life Maybe one of the pivotal scriptures for all of us, Jesus gives us instruction. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things he declares shall be added to you. When he, when he speaks that word, he, he preaches that word when he gives proper priority to the needs of the necessities of life. What you put on, where you live, your lifestyle. He actually refers to that when he talks about what a man is going to eat and where he's going to sleep and what he's going to put on, food and raiment. He's referring to our lifestyle. And most people are more conditioned to their lifestyle than their life in him. We give, we give recognition to, to Kobe, all of his incredible accomplishments and the awesome lifestyle that he lived. But when all is said and done, the only thing that really matters is the life he had in God. First is a word that God uses in reference to himself. There can be no first unless there's a second. If you run a race all by yourself, you didn't come in first, you just came in. First means that there must be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and so on. It's a, letter, it's a, it's a word that refers to priority and place. It refers to the, the, the highest and the greatest prize the seat of the highest honor. What you choose to honor before other things. When, when Jesus gives an invitation for who he is and to follow him, he makes it clear, you can't follow me unless you make me first. That is before everything else. And while others are screaming and others are preaching and others are selling their products, the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's going to, what really will matter is who is first. Who is first in your life in priority? 
who you first talked to in the morning, whose life has a preeminence before you. He's king of all the, of the whole earth. All kingdoms submit to him. All of creation is from him. The Bible says that all things come from him, through him, and unto him. Because he's first. The God we serve does not tolerate any gods beside him. Because he's first. The God that we serve, the God that we worship, it's not like other gods. It's not like other religions that, that tolerate the worship of other things or other deities. Christianity is exclusive. The God of Christianity is exclusive. His person, who he is, is apart from all others. He makes a declaration about him, his firsthood and his personhood. He said, at the end of the age, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he alone is preeminent. He's Lord, king of kings and Lord of lords. The God you serve and the God I serve has no room for other gods. For gods determine your life, who you worship, who you believe, who you follow, makes the difference in the life you lead. And when he is first, everything else becomes second. There are many declarations about his firstness, who he is in creation who he is to the person he created the God who the one the one who strategically mapped out the generational pattern of your life who who's the, he's the one from the beginning who saw down through the ages down through the generations and he knew your mama and your daddy married or not were going to see each other come together and whoop here come you God didn't bring you here by accident he's first and he knows why you are It is not an accident, no matter how men explain the accidents or the oops of men. You're not an oops. Now tell your neighbor, you're not an oops. You're on purpose. Some of you have said that in your life because you didn't do what you're supposed to do and now all of a sudden, not oops, and here comes the next generation. Amen. God, look, Lord have mercy. Tell your neighbor, God is in the oops. It's one of the reasons why we, that's one of the reasons why we don't abort life because life is ordained by God. It's why we applaud even the courts that reverse the decision. Because life is of God. Because he's first. He's so awesome until he even looks down through the ages and he sees that through all of the weeks and the months and all the years, all the moments, the seconds and the hours of time that have been created before you, he looks down to see where you are right here and right now because he fashions you to hear what I'm about to tell you. Because he knows if you hear it, 
what you will do will change your life and other people's lives. I don't want you to get it twisted. We do not worship a God who changes one, his mind one day and then the next day he changes mind. We're not worshiping, we who follow Christ, it's not a God who's constructed by the hands of men. One reason why we give such credence to the scriptures and to the, and to the sacred letters, which we call the Bible, one reason why we give credence to that is because God has proven himself over and over and over in, in reference to his word. It is different when you talk about God when you talk about other gods, it's something different. He makes declarations about himself that nobody else can make a declaration about and back it up. We serve the God we serve because the God we serve made a prediction in the walk in the days of his life and he says, I will lay down my life and take it up again. In three days, I will raise from the dead. His disciples were looking at him like he lost his mind. So they figured, well, we don't understand this, so you must be talking about something else. And he would say it again and again. No, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and there they're going to crucify the Son of Man, and he will raise from the dead. Three days later. He spoke about it in parables in the first place when he said, he said, you know, this temple, he said, this temple here, he said, he said, this temple is nothing. In three days it'll be torn down, but I will raise it back up again. He was talking about his body himself. Christianity, the only faith where the God of the faith predicts his own death, dies, and then raises again. Lord, mercy, Jesus. And when he raises from the dead, he does so with glory. And those that choose to believe, now they partake of that resurrection life. When Jesus refers to himself, he talks about himself and his commitment to his Father God. We need revelation about first because first, determines everything else. What you do first determines what happens next. What you believe about your life, about your marriage, what you believe about your job, your career, is all about who you honor as first. I'm asking the Lord to just open your understanding about this simple, simple truth so that he might walk on that truth right into your life. I want the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of simplicity with this whole issue of why God must be, has to be number one in your life. If he's second, then when you have problems beyond your control, you, have, you get no help. If he's next, then the tragedy that you walk through, you have no answers for. If he is second place and something else is first, then when you need him, 
When you need the power of God, the presence of God to help you in your crises, in your confusion, in your trouble, you get no help. This is the problem with the mantras. This is the problem with other faiths that tell you all the things you've got to do. Everything from transcendental meditation to what herb you smoke to what food you eat. You know, there are people whose religion is caught up in what they eat. You are considered righteous or unrighteous based on your diet. And please don't misunderstand me. Some of our diets are horrendous. Some of the things we eat, we, if we really knew what it did to our bodies, we would go, we would quit. And then other of us are just so sanctimonious about it, our food almost has become our God. While other of us will say, no pig will ever come near my mouth. While other of us call it divine swine. Super Bowl party's gonna happen tonight, so I wonder how many, how many cracklings are gonna be in the place. I don't know. Jesus stands above and beyond all of that. And he said, it's not food, it's not drink, it's not raiment. What you put on, it's him. Believing in him becomes the final test, the final measure. And so we have today the beginning and preparation of what we call first fruits because we want to understand what, what is so incredibly important about first. Mm. First fruits um, you find in the scripture. You look up the word, you'll find it in several places in the Old and New Testament. In fact, God began to issue this principle with his people in the very, very beginning. Now, I pray that the Lord will help you to understand it. I'm just going to touch it, open it today. May the Lord help you to understand and may the priority of your life please God because whatever your priority is is going to determine your future and your destiny. Hmm. First determines or declares who is Lord over your life. Whether your, whether your appetites, whether your, your, des, your other desires, whether it be your lifestyle is at your God, you live for name brand. If you're not wearing name brand, you're not happy. If, if you don't have a certain level of lifestyle where you're living, you're frustrated. Who is first in your life? To understand this principle helps you to walk by faith because without faith it's impossible, the letters say, it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith, as it were, I say to you even today, you have to eat in faith. Lord have mercy. What? Yeah. That's why you can't, you can't, you can't stand and make food of God because you got to eat in faith because at the end of the day you don't know what you're eating because you don't know who's handled your food before you ever ate it. Even if when they say naturally grown and <laughs> what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? That, that 
organically grown. Oh, yes. Yeah, they, what they do, they put organic on the outside and charge you about third, a third more. Someplace, you got to exercise faith to understand who's first in your life determines where you stand. It determines, it allows God to bless you so you can be a channel of blessing. So the scripture is clear to show us when you honor God first, I'm talking about the God of the Bible. I'm talking about his son, Jesus Christ. When you honor him first, you receive a special promise from God and here's what he says. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. It said, when you honor God with the first of your increase, he says, your barns, and speaking, speaking in terms of whatever you hold, for us, our barns today would be bank accounts, will be filled and overflowing. Not only in your personal life, in your finances, your business, God wants to overflow. Why would God want to impact your economy? Because when God touches your economy, it, it, it advertises to everybody else who he is. When God blesses you, it's not just for you. Tap your neighbor that the blessing is not just for you. When God blesses your life, it's not just for you. It's for people that are not blessed and don't know what to do about it. Who are worshiping other gods and not being blessed. I know that there's a controversy about those that worship other things that have the abundance of things. Things are good. But the Bible even brings, brings understanding when it says a, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. His life doesn't consist in the abundance. I think Kopi is a, a good declaration of that. That even though he had many things, what was most important to him was relationships. A first fruits offering actually is, is not the same as a tithe. A tithe, the word means 10%. So we're not really talking about that. We're talking about something different, something other than that. It makes it difficult for people to even talk about money and generosity, generosity and money, if, if the one who controls all things is not first in their life. The Lord Jesus even said that I have a rival, and the rival is mammon, or that is the more material things. He said you, you will either serve one or two gods. You will serve God or mammon. That is what you get as a result of what you do. At the, at the center of so many people's lives is how much they can get or what they can get or how they can live. And sometimes our faith gets a bad reputation by somehow thinking that if you're poor, you're good. We have a politic in this nation that, that, that makes heroes out of poor people. Somehow if you're poor, you're the salt of the earth. If, you don't, if, you, if you're not doing good, you live in the gutter, somehow you are more special. Have you lost your mind? Do you not know, do you, if you really know what poverty is, nobody would ever deify poverty if they ever really understood what it was. 
And if you've ever been there, you don't want to live there. We have another, we have another group that, that deifies the rich. You got everything you want. You live in the lavish, luxury, luxurious lifestyle, mansion. And we got people, we got Christians who don't like rich people who believe that if you're rich, you're somehow evil. We got African-Americans that, that rail against anybody that got money. And if you're African-American and you make more money, somehow you get put in a, in a, in a different category. You must have done something to get that money. Because we, when we don't understand who's first, we don't judge rightly at all. I want to tell you, poor people that don't have Christ is just as much in trouble as rich people who don't know Christ. If you don't know him, you're in bad situation. In fact, your situation is so bad until you can't afford to die because what's waiting for you is not a good scene. Hello, somebody. Even Jesus gave the parable about the poor man and the rich man. And the rich man, when he died, he had to leave everything. You know, when you die and you're rich, you can't, Lord, have, you know this, you know this word, tap into, you can't take nothing with you. We got folk worshiping the gods in Egypt who built pyramids so that they could enjoy the luxuries of this life in the afterlife. Have you lost your mind? When we talk about God being first in the faith that we live out, we're talking about God being the most important thing in all of the world. That's why when he makes the invitation, he makes that invitation, follow me. Oh, my God. And he says stuff like this. You cannot follow me if I'm second. If I'm not first, you can't follow me because there's other stuff will be keeping you from following me. That's why he tells the rich young ruler, tell you what, take all you got and sell it and give it to the poor. Then you can follow me. Was God trying to make him poor? No, God was trying to make him exceedingly rich with the right attitude. So when he died, he didn't lose nothing. He gained. When you don't have God first, all your houses, your cars, your clothes, your job, what the, it means nothing. If you don't, you don't think this is true, then get the house, get the car, get the clothes, and then, Lord have mercy, and then get sick. And see how much, see how much a gold-painted Mercedes can help you. Do, am I against gold? Nope. If you, if you got the money and you can paint your Mercedes gold, paint that thing gold. Just put God on it so, you know, <laughs> so people can know who gave it to you. Hello, somebody. If you're poor, if you're poor, look, you're not good because you're poor. God calls poor or poverty a spirit. I, my wife and I have had the privilege of, of traveling the world and seeing the true definition of poor. You don't know what that is. On your worst enemy, you would not wish that. And wherever you are economically, God, God, contrary to popular opinion, the gospel is good news for the economically depressed. And when God gives you that good news, one of the first things he says, make me first. You make me first, I'll take you out of the financial.
financial measuring. You make me first, I'll change your values. You make me first, I'll teach you how to manage. You make me first, I'll open up opportunities that you can actually handle. What God really wants is to eradicate that, that horrible attitude of poverty and to eradicate that horrible attitude of hoarding and being better than because you have more money. You got to understand what it is for him to be first. And God has put some things in place to help us to understand that. Because you're wrong if you think God doesn't want you to prosper. And you're wrong if you think that your money gets you to heaven. Tap your neighbor. Tell him what I said. Your money won't get you there. Tap somebody and say, and your poverty won't either. Because you got folks who are poor and who are wicked. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Some of you have been in the presence of poor, wicked people. It's not good. Some of y'all have been in the presence of poor, rich people. Both cases. You know, as I'd rather, though, be in the, I think I'd rather be in the, in the, in the presence of poor, poor evil than rich evil. Because rich evil got the power to make, make you hurt longer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to get this. I'm not doing a good job with what I'm supposed to do today. So I need to hurry. So when we talk about first, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Uh, this only ties to what Paul the Apostle writes in his letters when he teaches us about what, uh, uh, what generosity is, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks. When Paul te- talks about it, he talks about what it means to be a generous giver. There are awesome blessings that come along with being a, 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 a a generous person. And we're going to talk about those awesome things that happen as a result of that. But a generous giver will always give regardless of how much or how little they have. If you're truly generous. What, what is, that's because giving at its core is an attitude of the heart. If, if you're afraid that you'll never have, you'll hold on to everything you've got. You be singing that Joe Tech song. You had better hold on. Hold on to what you Y'all remember that? I mean, you have to be a little old. You have to be down the road to, hear, to, to know that song. Raise your hand. I'm just kind of kidding. Raise your hand if you ever heard that song. I got three people. Yes, I understand. Man, you know, in your life, you gotta, I got to keep everything. I can't let nothing go. It's a horrible, horrible attitude. Paul talks about it. That's because giving at the core of it is something that is has transpired in your heart. You are no longer afraid. The fear that you're born with that means you're not going to have nothing or, you're, or it's always going to be this way or somebody's going to take it. That fear gets lost when Christ is first. Mm. Everything will be tested. When you truly are a giver, then everything gets tested in your life. Your trust in God, your, your moral fiber gets tested, your commitment to honor pledges, all that gets tested when you are a, a 
truly a generous person. Your ability to internalize the truth that God will supply all of your needs, that gets tested when you are a generous person. Charlie Tremendous Jones, some of you might remember him, if y'all, those of you in the, in the business field, in the, in the motivational speaking field, Charlie Tremendous Jones, he said, he said, and, and I quote, you can't really enjoy anything without sharing it. And this includes your faith, your love, your talents, and your money. The truth is, what, how life works, how God has devised life to work, whatever you have, if you keep it, you don't really get to enjoy it because you're too busy trying to protect it. You can only really enjoy your life when you give it away. When you release it. It's one of the, of the, uh, it's one of the great truths of the kingdom of God. Of the message of the gospel. Here's the way it works. God so loved the world that he, come on, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in what he gave, whosoever believes will not perish, but come on, have life eternal. Whatever you try to hold on to, Usually, if you try to hold on to it, it usually will destroy you. You know, you're married to a wife and you're trying to get her to stay with you, trying to get her to be faithful, so you want to know where she is every moment. Call on the job four or five times a day. Send, send the detectives out to see if she's doing right. You know, watching that TV show, caught, what's it, what's it called? Cheaters, yeah. Mm-hmm miserable. Amen. God never intended it. Are you still breathing, saints? God intended that when you are married, you love and love re- releases each other. And in releasing each other, you get each other. It's a whole different, but it's because Christ is first. It does test who you really believe in when you consider what is the first thing in your life. Hmm. And here's something about God I love. That, that no matter how much you give, God will never allow you to give more than he gives back to you. Because that's the nature of your father in heaven. That's why people who, are, who have been freed in this category are, in, are wonderful to be around. Because they're, they, 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 I know a friend of mine, we were just giving things away and a friend of mine came by and he knew, he knew I love, he knew I love that coat. And so he didn't really want it, but he was just testing me. So he said, he said, you know, I really like that coat. I said, you a lie too. It's amazing though when you when you don't when you really don't when you really when you really seriously when you think well I, I let I let it go you, something in your heart where you're no longer afraid when God is first you know what, where it came from and you know you know who is the supplier Remember this a farmer who plants only one the farmer who plants only a few seeds gets a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop you must each decide in your heart how much you're going to give 
And of course, this heart decision comes when your spirit and your soul are not warring against each other, but you're one. And you realize, okay, everything I have comes from God anyway. And Lord, if you want me to give it, surely I will release it. You just know that you know. People who give in the way I'm speaking don't, don't give shaking and trembling in that sense, but they, they, they know Okay, God's up to something because when God prompts you to give, he's trying to get something to you. Those of you who have tested God this way, you know it's true. The, the phrase God gave us years ago, the gift that leaves your hand will never leave your life. The things that you give and release at God's command will always find them, themselves a way back to you, either in a different form or in a multiplied form. Because that's the way your Heavenly Father, that's His nature. My purpose this morning was to tell you, I have to tell you to you next week, to tell you a story about this that's so incredibly wonderful that it would help you to understand how God works because there's not a person sitting here today that doesn't have desires in their heart, things that they want, things they desire to have. By the way, if you're sitting here today and you don't want nothing and you have no desire in your heart at all, we're going to call up there to the cemetery and make sure you got a grave plot. Because it won't be long, you won't be here. God places desires in the hearts of his people and teaches us how to receive them. Don't, and don't, don't give, the Bible says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. When you are in faith, you are not anxious. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That's, that's the Bible's description of attitude of somebody who gives. They have a cheerful attitude about it. They're not upset about it. This is not about a highway robbery. I have been in situations, even in the house of God, where it, it, it was just amazing. It was horrible. This is not a rock. This is not manipulation. When God wants to, when God begins to talk to your heart about what you have and about what he wants you to give, He's trying to teach you, educate you, help you understand his nature, that he lacks nothing. We're the ones who need what he has. But unfortunately, you can't get what, for many of us, you can't get what you want until you deal with what you've got. The way you hold what you've got, it may be keeping you from getting what you really want. God is the one that teaches us this principle. But when God is first, when he's first, it changes everything. So he told the children, I'll, 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 I'll close with this. He told the children of Israel, he said, look, and, and, and keep this in mind, they've been slaves for 400 years. This is not the story I'm going to tell you next week, but I'll tell you this one right here. They were, <laughs> they were slaves for 400 years. Now, now, as a people, African-Americans who, who actually go to get, get African-American history understand that slavery was a 400-year process. And a lot, of our, a lot of the people who were in slavery relate to this story in the Bible because Israel, again, was 
was in captivity for 400 years. And as a slave, you don't get to do what you want to do. You do what everybody else wants you to do. You work hard, you receive little. It's a horrible lifestyle to be in slavery. Some of you have never been in slavery, so some of you have forgotten your history, so you don't appreciate the freedoms you have right now. In fact, you've got to find out something else to, to grieve about because, you know, I, I, I have a, sometimes one of the problems with the, with the civil rights movement is, it, 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 you know, what it fought for, much of it has been accomplished. So we have to go for something else to keep it alive. God help us. I, I like to suggest the kingdom of God because there in the kingdom of God, you're not only going to find black folks, white folks, you're going to find yellow folks, Hispanic folks, you're going to find all kind of folks who found a whole nother kind of freedom. They're in, they were in bondage for 400 years. So how many, you know, if you figure out generationally, how many generations that is for 400 years, if a generation is basically 40 years, you just put that, divide that in there, how many you get? Minimum, right? Can you imagine for 10 generations you've been in slavery? By the, by, the, by the fifth or sixth, everybody got it. We slaves. You know, ain't nobody trying to start a business. Nobody's trying to get ahead. They're trying to eat. And that's the way it is. And when you put people in slavery for generations, like, like many in this nation have been in the slavery to the welfare system for generations, you create a mentality when there ain't nothing else. This is all it is. God hears their prayers. And he sends a deliverer. He sends the answer to their deliverance. And he tells them, I'm going to get you out of slavery. So God starts to map out their future for them. And he says to them, when you come out of slavery and when you get into what I'm promising you, don't forget me. When I deliver you from this, from the, from the flesh pits and when I deliver you from hard labor and you know there's nothing worse than working hard and not getting paid for it and then, and then if, you, if you act like you don't like it you get beat on top of it God said to them when I deliver you out of this slavery this is, this is God who's first he said I, I hear your prayer and God set up the whole nation set up the, set up the whole political geoeconomics set it all up for them and, and he says I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of here but I'm, let me tell you about your future and by the way if you don't believe this go to South Africa you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you come out of slavery you need something to help you with freedom I'm sorry you don't understand that because if you're being compelled to do something and now you, have the, you can have choices you got you to gotta deal with and manage those choices and so the Lord said, when you come out, don't forget me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take every first of your crops, every first of your, your produce of your business, every first of any of your enterprises, even if even when you have a child for the first time in freedom and not in slavery, I want that child. I want that first child. I want that first fruit. 
I want that first of your crops. I want the first of your business. And, 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 and don't be cheap. Bring it to me in the place where I choose. This is how it started. And so economically, God said, I am going to set you free. I will break your bonds, but I want you to remember me. And don't forget what I did to get you out. So some of you already know the story. He towed a whole nation of, is, of Egypt up. Told? He didn't tear it up. He towed it up. Do you understand what I mean? I mean, he rained down fire. He burned up the crops. He burned up the animals. He, Lord have mercy. He bloodied the water. He put flies in their sheets. He put lice in their hair. Because the leader of that nation said, what God you talking about? Moses said, I'm going to show you what God I'm talking about. And then to finally seal the deal, the last plague, he said, now Pharaoh, look, you got one more shot, dude. They're not your people. You, you, you got them on a hook and a crook. They're not your people. They're God's people. Let them go. He said, Who, who's God? Then he said, if I see your face again here, Moses, I'm going to kill you. Read the Bible. It's really, it says there. Moses said, okay, since you said you're going to kill me, the very words that come out of your mouth right now, that's what you're going to get. So Moses took him and Aaron. They told him, they, they pack up your bag here and let's go. And they left. And that night, he, he went to the children of Israel. He said, now look, God's about to set you free. But in order for you to be prepared to get free, I want every person, every house, or every hut, every grass hut, every clay hut, I want you to put your clothes on. I want you to <laughs> get your clothes, get your traveling shoes on, all the little, you ain't got no possessions much. But whatever you got, I want you to get that together. And then I want you to get a lamb. I want you to find these lambs. Because they had to raise lambs to eat. They, they said, I want you to find the lamb. And when you get this lamb, I want you to take this lamb into your house. Because I want every household to have a lamb. And if your household's too small for a lamb, you get in somebody else's household. I don't want anybody left out. Because if you're in a house right now and there's no blood of the lamb on this door, over this doorpost, you, you, whoever's in there, there's going to be death in there. Because when, the, when I send the death angel, there's nothing he will discriminate against except blood. When he sees blood, he will stop because he's on my command. Now, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. So I want you to get ready. So when I send judgment, it won't touch you. It'll get them. Are y'all with me? Okay. So, so the night came. Egypt don't know nothing about blood except they drinking it and eating it. They have no idea what that's all about. But God said to Israel, I take that lamb, innocent lamb, say innocent lamb. Cut his throat. Slay him. Let his blood drip out in the basin. Take that blood and take that plant that grows by your house. It's called hyssop. Take that, the, the other translation of hyssop, by the way, later on is tongue. I'll explain that later. He takes a hyssop, dip that hyssop in the blood and put it on the doorpost because I'm about to bring judgment economically. I'm about to bring judgment in terms of morality. I'm about to bring judgment in terms of life itself. I'm going to bring that judgment on the whole land. And the only way you can be saved is you have to be in a house that's covered, come on y'all, with the blood. That night the angel came. He was, he was ravaging, merciless. 
had no regard for black, white, rich, poor. All he, all, the only thing that he would discriminate in was blood. And that blood wasn't their own. Some innocent thing had to shed that blood for them, for them to move into the prosperity God wanted them to move into. So he told them, he said, I want that blood on your door. And they did it. Those that obeyed, they put that blood and they, was, they got the clothes on. And then it's almost like a cloud that the darkness, the death came. Came over the whole nation, over all the land. And like a cloud that sweeps in in, in a mist, it sweeps over the whole. And wherever the cloud goes and there is no blood, there was weeping and wailing and screaming and such until it was, it was frightening. The Bible says there has never been a cry, outcry like that in the world that you heard coming from Egypt. Every household, every household, death came. And then finally it came even to Pharaoh's household. Ooh the people of God was inside their little house, knees like. because they were, they were coming in contact with the God who said, I am first. He said to Pharaoh before this, he said, Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. Here's what, here's what here's the word. You can go there in Exodus chapter 12, check it out. Israel is my firstborn. Let my son go. God giving him a chance. Israel is my firstborn. Let him go. Firstborn, yeah. He's my, my, my the future of everything I want to do in the world is invested in Israel. Turn him loose. Pharaoh said, hmm, right. I'm going to tell you something. When that cloud came up in Pharaoh's house and he went to the crib because he wasn't, because the, the baby wasn't moving. And, and, and if you put a mirror by the nose, it wasn't cloud, there wasn't no breath coming out the baby. Can you, can you imagine that mama? You know, her screaming. Pharaoh and his proud self bucked, bent over because he, he, with grief, because he can't handle and he realizes this happened because of my own stubbornness. Can you imagine? Screaming, hollering, weeping, and wailing. And Moses said, when the, when, when I, when the daylight comes, I want you to get out of here. You, you think first is not important to God? I'm going to slay a nation over the first. And so it was that in the morning, all of Israel came out of their houses, had their possessions. They took that lamb. By the way, they ate that. They roasted that lamb and they ate it. And it was to be the, the strength that they needed to get into the promise that God had for them. To live the life that God really wanted for them. He did it with the principle of he alone being first. He said, when you get in the land, remember me. So I want, all, I want the firstborn child, the firstborn cattle, the firstborn lamb. I want the first of your crops. I want the first of your business. He said, bring it to me to honor who I am. Who am I? I'm first. And remember what I bought you from. Well, are you going to kill the children? No. Bring the children to me and give them to me in dedication. And then, and then I'll take as a substitute an animal that bleeds. Slay them and put their blood on the altar and your child will be saved. Lord, what is God doing? This is the God you and I serve. Because first things 
are the absolute most important things. And I want to say to you, everyone sitting here today, do I have music? I do. Watch this. Music. See it? I work. <laughs> it, it's what God feels about you. It's why you're so important. In every generation, God has a first. Your soul was purchased by the slain lamb of God. That lamb is Christ. His slaughter is the crucifixion. That blood is what covers your life and keeps you from the things that this nation itself is suffering right now. Because he's first. See, if he's not first, then you're in trouble. If there's no blood shed for you, then that judgment is, does not discriminate. That judgment comes to everyone who is not under his blood. His blood pays the price. His blood protects you. His blood makes you stand out for good. His blood makes you light and not darkness. What he did for you takes away your sin and your rebellion and makes you acceptable to God. His blood. Now, everybody in Israel, everybody in, in Israel who lived under that blood in their house, they were saved and they made it to the, to the next destination. And it was a whole new life for them that God had. But you didn't have to. You could say, I don't put no blood, kill no lamb. You said the lamb, I named that lamb myself. You know, you could have an attitude like, I don't need this bloody religion. I, I want to tell you that this is what God has prescribed for us. Everything he did in the Old Testament was pointing to what he would demonstrate in life with himself. I don't want you to remember that, that this church exists because somebody shed blood for us and made, he made us first by honoring his son. First fruits is really an acknowledgement of who God is. I want you to bow your heads for a moment because I want you to ask yourself a question. Does that blood cover your life? Or have you been trying to make it on your own? Have you been trying to, have you been serving other things? You've made more important other things in your life than himself. May the Lord remind you that the way he brings us out of sin, the way he delivers us from sin and from our old taskmaster, when we were powerless, the Bible said, when we were powerless, when we were unable, he loved us and gave himself for us. You but must acknowledge it. You have to decide, I'm, I will follow you I will make you first and keep you first in my life.
promises you, I'm going to deter the judgments. I'm going to deter them from you. Some of you may be hearing this for the first time. The good news is Christ is the Lamb. Puts his head on the block. He lets them slay him. And then while they're slaying him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So that you and I might have a remedy for the false gods and the false religion and the false hopes. We don't know how life works. We've tried everything. We just experiment. I've met folks lately, they just experiment everything. If it, if it sounds good religion, they do it. They have, no, they have no clue. Christ comes to make his declaration. He's first, he's Lord of all. And I pray for you today that that blood covers your life. That you are no longer, no longer in the camp without blood. Father, for those who realize today that their sins are forgiven, their past has been erased, and their future has been laid out for them. I pray for them today, Father. Let there be, let there be an understanding in their heart. Let there be a commitment deep inside to follow you wherever you go. Let them have a, let them, let them receive the true family you have for them. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the unspeakable gift of grace and forgiveness of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for those who have not received, may they receive, may they believe today that if we believe on him, and him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And we confess with our mouth that you are first, you are Lord. That we shall be saved. I thank you for that today. And I praise you not only for saving us, but even as you did your people, giving us a direction where to go. What to do. Praise you and thank you for the Lamb. Thank you that you raised him from the dead to ensure that what he did was accepted. May it be so in the life of every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, stand to your feet, amen. Stand to your feet. Next week we're going to we're going to open our first fruit season those of you who are familiar and you know about it, then take this week and, and pray about it. Um, this should come out of your heart.